America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, I'm thrilled today to have as our guest two of two of my favorite people on the planet, uh, Howard Hansen and Steve Jeske, who have written, I believe, a landmark book. And Ron, let me loop you in here a second. Let me ask you by this question. Is it possible, Ron, that everything that you've read about leadership has been completely wrong? Yes. <laughs> I, I freely admit that. And after reading Steve and uh, Howard's book, uh, wow, it, it was a real eye-opener for me, I have to tell you. Well, me, me too. And I've had the privilege of knowing Howard for, it's scary to say, about 20 years when he first consulted with my organization uh, in uh, as a, as an organizational development coach, creating our vision and strategy, and curiously, I, I recently found notes from some of those meetings, and it was amazing to me how the, the beginnings of many of the things that we talk about today all all took seed uh, where, where the seeds were planted back then with Howard. So, Howard, welcome to the program. And I think you should burn those notes. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you, you, were you wrong? Were you wrong then? <laughs> well, everything I knew about leadership, I thought was wrong as well. Then I believe was wrong then, um, which is what brought us to uh, Steve and me to writing the book we wrote. But um, Ed and Ron, thanks for asking us, and we're thrilled to be with you today. Well, let's to first start here. off. Yes. Good. First, start off, Howard. First, introduce yourself, and then uh, pass it over to your partner, Steve, for a brief introduction. Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to this idea of healing leadership. Well, I'll try to be brief. That's hard to do with with um, with that uh, assignment. But I I got going um, on the question of um, how, what makes great places to work. Uh, for people when I was involved in the um, growth and development of Great Plains software in the 80s and 90s and um, began to think about leadership uh, first by understanding that how we were leading in the company was not working well and we needed to change it if we were going to make a great place to work. We did change it a bit. We did uh, luck out. Um, then I got really interested in the question as I morphed into a consulting role, first with the company and then with folks like you at Crazy Enough to ask me to come in and offer what I was thinking in those years. And then um, later on, as I joined up with Steve and we began to ask the question more deeply, the question being if um, 
if there's so much available about leadership to read and learn and understand and absorb and practice, why is it working so badly? And that led Steve and me to a long conversation, which he'll elaborate on um, in a moment, um, that then led us to some thinking that um, then led to the book and how we speak about leadership today. Great. Uh, Steve, same thing. A little introduction for yourself, your background, and how you came to this idea of healing leadership. I was born at an early age. Oh, you don't <laughs> want to start there. Um, uh, I guess the, the place to, uh, to jump in in my life um, of many, many different uh, expressions is uh, an employee assistance uh, consultant, uh, a licensed uh, counselor in an employee assistance setting. And um, it was my, con- my ongoing frustration of seeing um, person after person in my office, often from the same company and even more from the same supervisor, whose dysfunction sent, sent them there <laughs> to my office. And, and um, the growing desire uh, to uh, move upstream instead of working with the, with the wounded, uh, work with the wounders. And, um, and uh, so it was uh, my partnership with Howard where we explored that question, um, where is the leverage for change? in our culture, in our society, um, and how does change happen? And um, in addition to that, I had the great privilege of working um, very briefly with uh, Dr. Ed Friedman, the author of, uh, uh, of um, um, <laughs> what's the book, Ed? A, fa- a Failure of Nerve. Failure of Nerve, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, which, which I consider to be uh, my my Bible on leadership and even human behavior, and much of what we've done has been uh, expanded on Dr. Friedman's theories and ideas there, um, and and put it into a form that hopefully is uh, accessible to people. Well, to that end, I'm going to share with you and our audience my my all-time favorite quote from A Failure of Nerve, and that is, and I believe this is in the, the preface of the book, and that is, the colossal misunderstanding of our time is the assumption that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. And exactly. th- to me, th- that statement was absolutely mind shattering because I, I as I was reading this book I, I just saw the implications for this uh, f- from everything from from child rearing to international relations uh, and not to take a a political stance on anything but you know what what part of if you don't show us the weapons of mass destruction or don't let the UN inspectors in we're going to take you out, did Saddam Hussein not understand? And I'm not saying that that was a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying that he was unmotivated to change. And it was the assumption that this insight will somehow help him 
see that. I, I remember reading the book at that the time that those things were going on and saying, this is the answer to that question. He's unmotivated to change, as are we, by the way, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, and, and th- this is what Steve and I began to think we were seeing, if not understanding, um, some years back, and, and that is that one of the one of the the great mistakes that leaders undertake, and they they do it today as always, is to think that there is some way they can directly influence um, how someone in the organization is behaving and performing by some by pushing some button or pulling some lever, um, pursuing, if you will, a technique that most leadership books and gurus teach us thinking we need to know the five best ways to lead somehow, some way. And these are usually tips and tricks and techniques. And I think, well, I think we have to say that that approach doesn't work. And yet we continue to try it. We continue to believe that it ought to work. And Friedman had a, a, an analogy about this as well called the unending treadmill of trying harder. We see leaders continuing to try to do uh, in leadership uh, what doesn't work. And, and we would ask that folks think about it differently. <laughs> and and that's that's what led to our book, Healing Leadership. And our manifesto, um, which uh, Steve, uh, with his great thinking skills, tuned up for us the last a, a few days ago so that we could um, offer it again in a, in a fresh uh, format and sort of summarizes in a couple of pages what we think we see um, with respect to leadership and, and what, what response to what we see might be. And, and these are thoughts that we think all leaders could usefully spend some time considering. Howard and Steve, this is Ron. Uh, your, your book, and I, and I do want to mention this for our audience, is, is called Healing Leadership, A Survival Guide for the Enlightened Leader. And it was because of Ed Kless that I read Edwin Friedman's book, A Failure of Nerve, and I actually read that back in 2007. And then I had the great good fortune of meeting both of you at a, a conference in 2011. And may I say, just to interject, Ron, you were gracious enough to take the risk to write a forward to our book. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And well, we, that, we appreciate that to this day. Well, that, you know, and, and I, I went back and reread that forward just as, as part of the prep for this show as I went back and looked through my notes on your original manuscript that you had sent me on the book. And uh, it, it, I do have to say, I mean, I do, and I, I think I say this in the forward, it's one of those books I wish I would have read in elementary school because it would have profoundly changed the way I thought and probably behaved in dealing with other human beings. But, you know, the, the, the quote that Ed read from Edwin Friedman, and, and I know, Steve, you said that you were friends with and got to work with 
Edwin, and he just sounds like a brilliant guy. But the second part of that quote uh, about, you know, you can't change people who are unmotivated, he says, if you want your child, your spouse, your client, your boss to shape up, stay connected while changing yourself rather than trying to fix them. And the thing that you guys do in your book, and it is not like your typical business book, and you even say that, you don't, you don't offer t- tips and techniques and checklists of how to act or how to rescue people or, you know, or manipulate them. You offer instead a way of being. And that's what really impressed me about your book is you understand leadership as an emotional process, not a mechanical process. Exactly. And, and um, the, the, one of the big reasons we avoid offering those kinds of uh, steps and tips is because all of these um, approaches are inherently anxious. And uh, one, one of our uh, main tenets is that anxiety and stress makes us stupid as human beings. It shuts down creativity and, and um, problem solving and, and even perspectives. So um, just trying to come up with a strategy is an inherently anxious process. And as such, it puts a wet blanket over any kind of uh, possibility to change from the from the outset. So that's exactly right. right. Excellent. Well, I know we'll have more questions for you about anxiety because that's a big component of the book. So looking forward to that. But right now we've got to take a break. And folks, you can reach Ed and myself at uh, TSOE at Verisage.com. Please email us. Uh, Let us know what you think about the show, possible topics. If you have any questions, you can also tweet us at hashtag TSOE. And right now, we're going to take a break and listen to our sponsor, Sage One. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, 
measure what matters to customers, and is latest, implementing value pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back. As is a tradition whenever Howard and Steve give a talk, I'm, I'm going to offer a an out. Uh, I have actually seen Howard and Steve do this at hour-long presentations, at three-hour presentations, where about 10 minutes in, they will say to the audience, if this is not working for you, it's really okay if you get up and leave right now, and there's no harm, no foul. Uh, and I'm sure our folks at, uh, at Voice America will not be happy with me saying this, but if this is not for you... <laughs> It's okay. Take care of yourself. And this made such a lasting impression on me because it is completely in line with something that I learned from from Howard and Steve, and that is that anxiety and creativity are inversely proportional to each other. When, When you're highly anxious, you have extraordinarily low creativity, and vice versa, when when you are non-anxious, low anxiety, you can be highly creative. And those things seem to be linked with one another. But as human beings, we can't turn on creativity. In fact, to try to turn on creativity probably makes us more anxious. So the only thing that we can do is is self-regulate and lower our level of anxiety. And I wanted both uh, Steve and Howard to comment on this idea of anxiety. We mentioned it in the last segment. But if you could perhaps define it or maybe not define it, but give us, give us some examples of where you see it manifest itself in business and just in ordinary life. So, uh, Steve, why don't you start? I, um, I consider anxiety to be the way we, we speak of it, uh, not the situational anxiety, but more the existential anxiety. Um, it's related to just an unease about being alive, about being on the planet, about being around. It's this uh, uh, this feeling of having to do something different, having to make something happen. The very definition, modern-day definition of leader is you have to make something happen, right? There, There is an inherently anxious situation. Um, uh, so I would speak to anxiety as um, it's not late for work kind of stuff. Um, it's more related to um, it, it's something we get mostly in our family of origin, um, our our parents and our families about how we feel about ourselves, how we how we look at the world. Um, and how we see our role as a leader, um, and and uh, it, it drives then um, a kind of a low level of um, of of interference, I guess I would say, 
in um, higher higher brain functioning, so that the more we feel anxious about ourselves and about life and about our role, um, the the less access we have to our higher brain functions, nurturing, creativity, problem solving. So I would define anxiety then as this existential sense of unease um, that um, tells us we um, are responsible to make something happen. And, and I definitely want to pick up on the chronic versus episodic anxiety perhaps a little bit later, but I want to j- just sh- shift and transition to something you just said and turn it over to Howard, which is your family of origin. Um, Howard, I remember once asking you uh, something along the lines of what, what, what do you think the what, – what would you do different uh, it, back in the days when you were building Great Plains software – well, what would you do different about that? And you, your response was curious. As the interviewer of perhaps thousands of people for jobs, you said, I would try to figure out a way to break the law to ask questions about people's families. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and, I, I, and I wish you – could you pick up on that because why that's so important? And I actually have a potential antidote for that in a second. So, but I, I do want to hear you explain that thought. Yeah, that's, um, uh, I love hearing that uh, remembered. Yeah, usually people accuse me of saying things I don't remember having said at all, but this, this I, I do remember that. Um, I, I, think, um, I think if we could learn more about what uh, triggers in us, and I would love to, able to legally do this with people I interview for roles, jobs, and positions. What triggers in us are moments of, of uh, episodic anxiety and, um, and what keeps the level of chronic anxiety going in our lives. And I know that um, I've spent many years um, dis- discovering and in inquiring um, where mine comes from and learning that um, almost all of it has to do with uh, the origin sources and triggers that exist in my family of origin. Um, that insight, if you will, or, or, or amount of self-awareness is very useful. Um, it's a reservoir of knowledge and wisdom on which to draw in particular moments when I am aware that I'm getting hijacked, that my emotional processing is overcoming my capacity to be rational. Um, it's been a, a dream of mine and, and I think ours, including Steve, that all leaders could think this way about themselves as they enter into these complex relationships with others, colleagues and followers and other leaders, as they collectively try to reach high levels of perfect creativity in their companies or their organizations or or wherever they're working. Um, So that stress is certainly available and apparent and exists and cannot be eliminated or terminated, but it can be managed and it can be understood. Uh, 
And my dream interview would be, if it were legal, to learn more about a person's capacity for self-awareness and understanding and insight and all of those factors in his or her life so I could make a determination as to what sort of levels of emotional maturity, if you will, would be present in this person were he or she to be working in the organization I'm interviewing for. Does that make any sense? It, it sure does. So it, the the belief is, is that ultimately how one behaves in one's family structure and the what you've taken from your family of origin is very much what you're going to bring to the workplace and that there isn't this separation that we don't turn it on and off when we're at we're at home we're one way and when we're at work we're another we're we're whole people and we can't just separate those things out is that is that right yeah i was uh, I'm aware of a of a team building exercise that occurred um not long ago, where a group of vice presidents were together and the objective of the consulting effort, which was not mine, by the way, was to help this team work better together. And the CEO who was in the group, joined the group and participated in the process, said, I've always believed that it's very important to leave your personal problems at home and your work problems at work. This is a 57-year-old chief executive officer who believes this way. And we know that doesn't work that way. We know there's no such thing as work life and balance life. I began to understand in the late 90s that the idea of balancing work and personal life as if they are separate enough to work either in one area or the other without being in the other is an impossible idea. That, that, that's a great point, Howard. <clears throat> I always say that balance is for ballerinas and tires. Yeah. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> it, it doesn't have anything to do with how we humans work. But, <laughs> you know, I love your guys' line that stress makes us stupid. And if you increase anxiety, you're going to end up lowering creativity and innovation and all of this. And you know, Dr. Edwards Deming used to want to drive out fear. That's different than driving out anxiety, isn't it? Do you draw a distinction between fear in an organization and anxiety? Because you say anxiety is contagious. That's a good point. And and I was going to add another quality of anxiety is that it's contagious. Um, I, I think the difference between fear and anxiety um, w- would, would be... Um, Again, on that existential uh, level, when a person is uh, doesn't have the resources to self-regulate, um, when when the person doesn't have the self-awareness um, to know how they're functioning and uh, to be able to regulate that, um, that would be the anxiety that would be contagious. Um, right. Fear, fear more is related to a situational kind of anxiety. I would say, right? Um, yeah. And your antidote to anxiety is what you call maturity. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and what's very interesting about that is you guys say that you can't work on that alone. It's kind of like our eyes can't see our own eyes and, and you need other people to become more mature. It's, it's like you, you say, I think you need to join a challenge group, not a support group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> We're not big on support groups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to hang around with people that are going to challenge you and make you more mature. So that's right. Self aware, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maturity, I would define as the ability to self-regulate under stress. Right. And, um, and, that, and the self-awareness that goes along with that. So, um, and maturity is also contagious. And that's the good news about leadership. When a leader is focusing on their own functioning and they are working on self-regulating their own level of anxiety... And there being a step-down transformer of anxiety in in their own uh, functioning, uh, that's contagious. That that has a a calming effect and helps other people deal with their own anxiety and get more creative and innovative as well. Right. And the, and the great question, of course, Steve, is, well, how are you going to do that? And what we'll do after the break is explore some of those ideas. Again, you can reach us at TSOE at Verisage.com, pound TSOE for the hashtag on Twitter, and we do monitor that during the show. So right after this word from Sage One, we'll be back with Howard and Steve. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business like revenue and expenses that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Are you interested in the topics discussed on The Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back. We're talking with Howard Hansen and Steve Jeske, authors of Healing Leadership, which we highly recommend, both Ron and I. In fact, Ron wrote the foreword. I personally think it's, it's some of Ron's best writing. <laughs> well, it was an inspiring book. That's what that's about. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about anxiety versus maturity. The, the, the next thing I want to talk with you guys about is episodic anxiety versus chronic anxiety. And, and Steve, could you kind of define those terms and maybe explain the difference between the two? I think this is a fascinating topic. Absolutely, and we've had our readers give us feedback that this is one of the most valuable um, uh, uh, ideas in the book. Um, and so the difference between chronic and episodic anxiety. Um, chronic anxiety is the anxiety that you start your day with um, before your feet hit the floor. Um, it, it's, the, it's the sense of unease about yourself and your world and your role. Um, or the sense of ease, as the case may be. Um, whatever level that is, is the level at which you start your day. And then depending on the day you have, um, this episodic anxiety gets piled on top of that base level. And um, it might be a flat tire on the way to work or traffic. Um, it might be a conflict with, a, uh, with someone at work or a spouse. Um, those kinds of situations all spike our anxiety level, um, and eventually there is a threshold level that that is reached um, beyond which uh, a person cannot be creative and cannot be nurturing. Um, I believe the research in couples research for men, say, it's about a heart rate of 105. That when our heart rate gets over 105, um, PET scans show that our brains begin shutting down as men. So that's kind of an interesting side note on that threshold. Um, once this threshold is reached, um, then um, not only do good things not happen, but bad things start to happen. Um, and uh, damage... Um, uh, violence uh, in extreme uh, situations would be an example. So the question then in dealing with anxiety is where is the leverage uh, in keeping it below the threshold, this threshold that each of us has? And traditional approaches uh, work on um, methods that address the, the episodic, learning how to breathe, um, learning how to relax, uh, traditional stress management techniques. However, um, that's not, in our opinion, where the leverage is to be found. It's possible through dealing with your family of origin and, and your own existential anxiety, chronic anxiety, 
that you can lower your, your baseline and then have a very stressful day. Uh, but because you start at a lower level, you never reach the threshold or stay under it a greater amount of time. So uh, the kinds of things, working on your own maturity, uh, is uh, the, the kind of thing that can uh, show great returns in terms of staying resourceful as a person and as a leader. Steve talks about resourcefulness, and 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 I when he uses that word, I always think of a reservoir of capacity, a think, reservoir yes. of maturity, and that's in flux with us, moment to moment. We um, we we think we're starting out with a high level during the day, and then we seem to behave during the day as if we have this reservoir we may deplete and um, once and, and if it depletes right about if it's all gone right around the end of the day that's that's working things out pretty well and we think we have that all backwards um, that we ought to be working on a maintaining a constant reservoir of maturity throughout the day so that at the end of the day we we have as much in reserve as we had when we began. And we urge um, all people, and leaders in particular, to consider ways, um, and we, we can't, there's no time to go into specifics now, but to consider ways to work through their days, um, mindfully understanding that they are using or adding to at any moment uh, a reservoir of their maturity, and 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 a thoughtful approach, and a healthy approach for these leaders and those around them who respond to maturity, is to keep that reservoir at a good level um, from the beginning of the day through the end. And that gets us to the energy management model in our book that we developed. That's how you um, go about um, monitoring that level and keeping it uh, operating out of a surplus rather than out of a deficit. And I love that energy management model because, uh, uh, you know, you guys are kind of calling BS on leadership and Another thing I think needs to be called BS on is this idea of time management. We really can't manage time, but you can manage your energy. And your your energy management model is four components, isn't it? Can you explain those real quick? The four components uh, are arranged around. They're, they're not steps or stages. They're more like dimensions in our model. And... Um, and it, it's kind of this GPS uh, that gives coordinates as to where you are at um, in in any given moment, and and they're formulated. The four dimensions of our model are formulated out of uh, what we believe are the four great questions of life that everyone, particularly leaders, have to address, and that is uh, who who are you. Um, First of all, and and then the second question is, where am I going? Who am I? Where am I going? 
And the third is, who will go with me? And the fourth is, um, where, where will I share? How am I connected to, to all things? That would be what we would refer to often as a spiritual dimension to our model as well. So these four great questions uh, then play out in these four dimensions of our model, self-care, self-share, self-aware, and self-dare. Right. Love that. And, and, you know, if you think about great figures in history, uh, Martin Luther King, I mean, pick your favorite visionary slash leader, even though I'm becoming to not like that word very much, but they seem to, to have all of these characteristics, don't they? Yes, exactly. Yep. And, and well, this is how we came up with our models. We, re, we reversed engineered what worked in leaders. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and Howard, I know you have a, a, a HR type background. And one of the things that you guys point out in the book is, you know, look how much time we're spending with the least mature people in our organization. Yeah, yeah. What if we spent that yeah. time with the stars? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've done this frequently, a show of hands in groups I speak to. Um, all, all presumably leaders, all all of whom presumably have the responsibility to do performance reviews for people. And I ask, how many of you spend more than half of your time um, working with people who are not performing as you hope they will perform or they need to perform to add high value to what's going on and well over half the hands in the room always go up. And um, imagine that. More than half of my time is spent trying to get people to do things they don't do. What? What if we could... What if we didn't spend any time doing that? What would we do with that time? It's so it's such a great point, and I know you guys talk about in the book uh, your your views on the performance appraisal process. And Ed and I did a show on this August first. Uh, we we don't much like like it either, but it reminds me listening to you, Howard, what Jim Casey, the founder of UPS, said. I think back in '47, he said a man's worth to an organization can be measured by the amount of supervision he requires. Right. <laughs> and, and if you have to constantly hover over somebody to make sure they're doing the right thing, then you probably made a hiring mistake. The toughest, one of the toughest pieces of advice we give to leaders is spend less time with the least mature people in your organization. Right. And and I and guys, the the one. I, I mean, there's so many good things in your book, but the one thing that really, really stuck with me and I continue to use to this day is your concept of the emotional triangle. And I know we're probably going to have to take a break. We're not going to get through all of this, but set up your idea and explain to the audience what, the, what an emotional triangle is. This would be um, one of the things that Dr. Friedman, in in my time with him, really sh- uh, shined the light on for me. And I think it is probably the highest uh, return on investment in our book. It's the it's the most difficult concept to to grasp and takes uh, really a, a lifetime to 
to begin to master um, this idea of um, emotional triangles and and what what that under emotional triangles is a way of understanding that relationships are not based of on two individuals as we tend to think we tend to think of two individuals you have a relationship human relationships from the perspective of triangles is done in threes and not twos and there's always two insiders in a triangle and there's always one outsider it's how we do relationships you can see it in the schoolyard where uh, there's always uh, uh, one kid uh, talking to another kid about a third kid um, the the ways in which we have a common enemy in order to be close um, our, our political situation uh, currently with Iran is a great example of um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend is one way of stating triangles it's understanding that there is a dynamic that makes the two insiders stable and it's this outside uh, uh, person or element that stabilizes the relationship between the two insiders. And if you are to affect that relationship in any way, um, you have to understand the third element of a triangle, whoever or whatever that is. Right. And we have to take a break, but when we come back, I, I want to, you say there's always three things involved or three people involved in a relationship, not two, but that outside position doesn't necessarily have to be another human. And, and I want to talk more with you about emotional triangles uh, when we come back after this break. But folks, you can also visit us at verisage.com slash TSOE to get our complete show notes on every show. We do a recap. We, we link to the books that we cite and videos and other interesting things that we talked about. We give you a little bit more information on every show. And you can also certainly contact uh, Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. And now we're going to take a break uh, and listen to commercials from our sponsor, Sage One. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit sageone.com today. Your free trial is waiting. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. 
Are you interested in the topics discussed on The Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E and follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. One of the curious things about emotional triangles that I've encountered is that in many cases, yes, it's a third person. So it's um, myself, my spouse, and a child. But in some cases, it's it's a something that is not human. Uh, it could be myself, um, a, a my dad, and alcohol. So the 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 third thing does not necessarily have to be a person. And so it becomes difficult, I think, to recognize triangles because there's so many of them, and it's, it, it they're all over the place, and. Howard, one of the things that you said to me about this, and, and I think this is part of that same conversation that, that we had over some wine at your place, uh, is that you feel that you only recognize triangles about 30% of the time. And that you're, that, that you're just still, even though you know about this stuff, it's still hard to recognize where they are. Yeah, it's, it, this isn't easy and um, it's not um, spontaneous. It's not wired into us. It's something you have to think about a lot. And um, who thinks about one thing all the time? Nobody. So it is, it's a challenge. Uh, the more I talk about it, the more I make myself aware of when I'm constructing a triangle successfully to help me understand what might be happening and what my relationship on the triangle is. And that's the important an important point about triangles, where are you on the triangle? Leaders are often in the outside position. And when they're in the outside position, they can successfully diagram, if you will, or describe or understand a triangle which contains them and then someone else and a third person or entity like a salesman and his compensation plan <laughs> which can be a relationship full of levels of conflict and and um, consternation and love and hate. Once, once the leader understands whether and if he or she is in the outside position, that leader has power, the power to not do things he would normally do, to either go down into that relationship and fix it or somehow control it and manipulate it into something else. And what we've been 
trying to help leaders understand, as well as ourselves, is what the value is in not going into those relationships, but remaining on the outside position. And we recommend um, a good look at our book again to get a good thorough reading of what we're talking about here. But I can tell you that occasionally when a leader gets that, I've seen leaders get this, I'm on the outside and if I stay out here, it works better. It causes the two inside position people to do one of two things, either make their relationship work better or end it. Either which, either one of which is probably a better outcome than what's happening now. Um, leaders that get that and tend to remember to use it occasionally report back to us that they see maturation improving in the groups of people that work around them. And in in many ways, this is you said leadership is, is sometimes about being alone, which in a way is that outside position, right? You're alone on that outside position, and you have to be comfortable with that position. Worse, you're going to have to be comfortable with people being pissed off at you. Yeah. <laughs> as as one as one attendee at a session that you did, did said, sounds like someone who's emotionally mature spends a lot of nights on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as you remember, we recommended you get a good couch. <laughs> well, we've got about five minutes left, and there's so many other concepts that are in your book. So again, we highly recommend that, that everyone get a hold of Healing Leadership, and we'll certainly post it as part of the show notes. Uh, but, but Steve, if you wouldn't mind explaining Explaining about the four minutes we have left, the four modes of being that you see. I, I'd love to. Um, we've we've defined um, well functioning leadership as establishing a non anxious presence, um, and and that gives two dimensions uh, to monitor in one's own uh, functioning, and that is. Uh, a level of anxiety, how, how anxious are you, and the level of presence, how absent or present are you. And, and we've put these into a matrix that give us four, then four ways of being. And each has uh, its own consequences, but there's really only one mode that, uh, according to our observations, there's only one mode that works. Um, the four modes would would be um, a an, an non-anxious absence. And uh, as you might imagine, that um, um, I, I think of the dude in the great, <laughs> great, <laughs> in, in the big Lebowski, the dude uh, would be a non-anxious a- absence. This is not someone who's going to be an agent of change or a catalyst of change or a leader, really, in any way, um, then there would be an anxious absence. And um, that would be uh, like the person who storms off, uh, off, off the stage, or storms out of the room, or does this kind of thing in a manipulative kind of way. Um, then then there would be uh, an an anxious presence and that would be uh, the person who's 
really struggling and taking responsibility um, for the functioning of others. Um, an anxious presence, a good example would be a codependent spouse trying to get their uh, spouse to quit quit uh, drinking or using drugs, making threats, uh, cajoling, pleading. These kinds of uh, behaviors would be an example of an anxious absence. Presence. And again, because of the anxiety, this is not likely to uh, to have any impact on a situation. And so that leaves with the with the only one that uh, has a chance at impact. And and again, we don't promise these as techniques that work. What we offer these are insights to keep from uh, making things worse. <laughs> right. And so we talk about the the fourth as a non anxious presence. That when a person can be uh, controlling your own. Regulating, regulating your own level of anxiety in your behaviors and not run away. Um, I believe it was Doug Hammarskjöld who said, in all of life there's really only one thing that's possible, not to run away. And staying present um, and staying non-anxious has a greater chance of having an impact uh, on some kind of change in a system. Right. You know, thank you so much, you guys. This has just been a, a great conversation. And again, folks, the book is Healing Leadership, A Survival Guide for the Enlightened Leader. We will put additional notes on it. I did want to ask you guys really quickly, as I get older, I'm getting more and more uncomfortable with the Max Planck statement. You know, the physicist, progress happens funeral by funeral. <laughs> I, I hope that isn't true. I hope we don't have to wait for, you know, one generation to die off before they start to heed some of uh, the great advice in your book. So so thank you very much for, for joining us today on The Soul of Enterprise. We really appreciate having you both, Howard and Steve. Our pleasure. Thanks for thank having us. Thank you both. Thank, thank you. you. And folks, next week, uh, Ed and I will discuss what we call the moral hazards of measurement. And this is something also that's in Howard and Steve's book, our kind of obsession with data and measurement and how those things can, can actually obscure and obfuscate what actually is going on. And we call that the moral hazards of measurement. And that's the topic we will explore next week. So, Ed, uh, I will see you back in about 167 hours. And again, Howard and Steve, thank you very much. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com slash TSOE.